Open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 3. When we sing about and preach about and read those passages of Scripture that deal with the birth of Christ, we are coming in the middle. We are looking at one of the great high points of something that started long ago. We're living in a world where there is a great battle going on. And we're going to look this morning at the greatest victory in the history of war. And when we come to the Lord's table, that's what we're doing. We're looking at the greatest victory in the greatest, longest war there has ever been. And every other war came out of this one. And so in Genesis chapter 3, into a wonderful and pristine world where there was no death, no sorrow, no sighing, where there was only one will, no rebellion, so far as mankind was concerned. Now, there was already something amok, and we'll see that as we go along, and we get the whiff of it here as we start in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above all beasts of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity. One translation says, and there shall be war. Between thee and the woman, between the seed, thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Father, open our understanding to your word today. Cause us to leave this place freshly excited and amazed and thrilled at the wonder of the Lord's birth, his life, his sacrificial death, his amazing resurrection, his present intercession, his present preparation of a place for all of his children. And may we have excitement. He's coming back. As we go about in our day-to-day affairs, make us aware that we are in a war zone. Help us to choose the right weapons. Help us to be alert and listen to the right voices. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to be looking at the greatest victory in the history of war as we come to the Lord's table. We know that... uh, The history of man is a history of war. And it's very interesting that when people go to do entertainment, most much of their entertainment is about conflict. People fighting one another. And you go over to the book of James and we find out that why do you have wars? Well, you have wars because uh, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Hence, they do not, hence don't they come from your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. You want to know what's going on in Russia and Ukraine? The reality of James chapter 4, verse 1. A subchapter of what, was, what began in Genesis 3. When I was in seminary many years ago, I chose James chapter 4, those first verses, as a text for a sermon that I had to write for a class. And I made the point that here was the 
the problem, here is the answer, here's the cause as to why we have war in the world, as well as on an individual basis and in churches and all the rest. I've got a C minus. He said the sermon was very impractical. Hmm. Well, God's word is often very impractical to man, whether he's in church or out of church. How many wars have there been? Just one. Hundreds of thousands of wars, but they're all rooted in this just one that we're seeing the beginning of. The length of this war, well, I'm not exactly sure, but I know when it ends. It started in the Garden of Eden, and it will end at the time of Revelation 20, verse 10, when Satan is corralled and doomed forever. The chief participants in the war is God and those with him, and Satan and those with him. Who wins? Well, that's really the wrong question. The question is, who won? The Lord's table is a celebration of the victory that took place where God sealed the victory and ripped Satan of all of his usurping power that he had gained when he rebelled and when Adam and Eve bowed down to him. So again, starting in Genesis 3.15, we really need to, and we've hinted at it, but to get the whole picture, we have to go back a little bit further in time. Before the events of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, there was a time in the universe, we don't know exactly when, but in the whole universe, there was only one will, there was no sin, there was no opposition, there was nothing but harmony in the whole universe. But there came a day when in the grand wisdom of God, God sovereignly permitted, brought about, allowed, whatever you want to use there, but God was sovereignly in control of something that took place that changed everything. Isaiah 14 says, How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. For you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, I will ascend above the heights and the clouds, I will be like the Most High. And, of course, Revelation 12 also tells us of this count when a third of all the angels went with him. So at some point prior to Adam and Eve being placed on the garden, coming God starting with man, in Genesis 1 and 2, again, he's created the world and all that is in it, but especially Adam and Eve. And they were there in unhindered fellowship, so far as the human family was concerned, there was no suffering, there was no death, there was no sin. Everything was wonderful until Adam 
We sin in Adam, yes. Eve was the first one who listened to Satan and yielded. But Adam was supposed to be her spiritual head. He was there. She gave to him what she took. He was obviously cognizant, aware of what was happening, and was just going right along. And so God says we sin in Adam. So Adam and Eve listened to Satan rather than God. And so Genesis 3.15 reveals the beginning of the conflict of the ages, the beginning of the greatest and longest war. Now, I was a major in history in college. I was not the best student in the world, but, but if they taught this, I don't think I slept through all of this. I think this would awaken me up. They didn't teach anything about this. It's called Christian college. This is not taught. It's not taught in the churches, not taught in colleges, not taught in seminaries. If you study history, you have, uh, get a big thick book called The History of the Western Civilization and this one, Ancient History and all these things. And, and uh, they're not going to say, now, to get to the root of this, we have to start in Genesis. And so you and I will have to make our decision, are we going to believe man or are we going to believe God? Thankfully, even as the book of Genesis gives us a starting point of this horrendous war that has engulfed the whole world, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, tells us about the end of it. And tells us that those who reject God, who reject the Lamb, who hate the Lamb's followers, they are going to experience the wrath of God, even in the presence of the Lamb. Now, I intend to later give you an outline or maybe a newsletter that has these scripture references down, because I hope you want to do some study on your own. We don't have time to go and look up and read all of these this morning. But in Revelation 14, verse 9 through 11, an incredible verse where there is a revelation of those who are rebels against God experience the wrath of God in the presence of the Lamb. And so the revelation also sets before us a coming day, an eternity of everlasting peace and glory and happiness for those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The latter chapters point that out. Revelation 21, 22. And these same chapters reveal to us, and this is something good to know, uh, vital to know. There's so many people going around in life without purpose, with confusion. If you turn on the television and you try to get an understanding of what's happening in the world, where we've been, where we're going, what's going to happen next, it can be frightening as well as confusing. But the revelation along with the rest of the Bible reveals the grand and ultimate purpose of God, that those who have been given to Jesus, John 17, for all eternity... 
They'll have no tears, no suffering, no death. And they will see the great triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, face to face. And will serve him and worship him and reign with him forever. You say, I don't believe that. Well, many people don't believe that. So join the crowd. If you want to call Jesus a lunatic and a liar, help yourself. If you're wrong, you're in deep weeds. And many people in in the human family are. You need to at least study the Bible and see what it says before you just reject it. Here's something else to keep in mind. If you listen carefully, or even not so carefully, you you just allow your mind to be filled with the news that's coming over the airways or on your cell phone or whatever, all the events that are coming and happening, and, and, and you get your perspective of life from this political party or that political party or this person or that person, and you don't fill your mind with the truths from Genesis to Revelation, do you know what's going to happen to you on the front end? Jesus talks about it in Luke 21, verse 25 through 28. Their hearts will fail them for fear. And we are in a fresh time of growing fear on planet Earth. As people look at the things that seem so imminently coming. Destructive forces from so many directions. Uh, we're, we're living in times that are prone to give you fear. And if that's all you have, and you're searching here and searching there, trying to give, well, who, who is the person who will give me hope? And by the way, this Bible tells us that there's going to come a time when there will be one man who persuades the whole world, I'll give you hope. Follow me. You will follow somebody. We all do. We all will. And so Jesus warns people's hearts failing them for fear of things coming on the earth. It's kind of, kind of different, but kind of like Lot's wife. Why did she turn back? Everything she lived for, everything she hoped for, everything she dreamed to do was about to be destroyed. If God were to go bankrupt, would you lose anything? He's not going to go bankrupt. If you live for what is here on this present earth, you're in for a rude awakening. So Genesis 
sets forth the beginning, the revelation sets forth the climax of the great conflict of the ages. I wonder what all the books in between set forth. The unveiling of the triumph of the seed of the woman over Satan. Genesis 3.15 again states it this way, where God said to Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Again, one translation again says, there shall be war. And there's been war. The war of the ages. The conflict of the ages announced in Genesis 3.15. So in Genesis 4, we're going to go through the whole Bible. In Genesis 4, 25 through chapter 7, from Seth to the flood, the Messiah was prophesied to come through Seth's line, but the whole human race is wallowing in gross rebellion and, and was destroyed in Noah's day, except Noah was given grace. He's found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then in Genesis 12 through 25, from Abraham to Jacob, Messiah was to come through Abraham, but Abraham and his wife were old and barren. Nevertheless, Isaac was born. Isaac's wife was barren. God performed another miracle so that the promised Messiah would come through the line of Jacob. Hope you're getting up a little hope because we're going right quickly through the Bible. Genesis 27 through Exodus 12. From Jacob to Israel in the wilderness. And by the way, when you look at the birth of Christ, you need to, it helps to, you know, there was a lot of opposition on the human plane. God was not wringing his hand, his finger, his hands. He's on time and but in, in the drama of life on planet Earth, these things were happening. Here's a promise, and here's what's happening. So, from Jacob to Israel in the wilderness, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Pharaoh sought to destroy Israel and Moses. Afterwards, Israel sinned so greatly that he was poised to destroy them in righteous judgment. But Moses prayed, interceded. First Samuel 18 and 19, Israel in the wilderness up to King David. God chose one man out of the tribes of Judah through whom Messiah would come. Was David's life ever in danger? Saul again and again wanted to kill him. In 2 Kings 11, Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, thought she had been successful in killing all of the royal seed through which Messiah would come. But Joash survived. He was hidden for six years. And at age seven began to reign. In Isaiah chapter 7, from Queen Athaliah to King Ahaz, a wicked one, wicked one sought to blot out the house of David again and again. 
set up a foreign king. Isaiah was given a prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. There are some things that happen on the first level of application and fulfillment, as well as the prophetic events that would happen that we consider at the birth of Christ. Then we come to Esther, from King Ahaz to the Queen Esther. and We've already come to to 5,000, I mean to 5, yeah, 5,000, no, 500 B.C., to 5 B.C. So we're moving right along. But wicked Haman persuaded King Azarias to kill all the Jews. So again, the great dragon, Satan, is standing over the people of God to devour the royal seed, to destroy hopes of salvation through Messiah. Now, the humans on earth did not realize this was... No, there, were no, there, were new, there were no newspapers, there were, there were no texts, there were no uh, 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 news reports. Alert, this is happening. Just like when... Book of Acts reports that Pilate and all of his men are doing all this stuff. They don't realize what's happening. But God is orchestrating and moving every event toward a climax. So, Abraham, I mean, uh, Esther came to a point of decision in her life. She had to make a decision. Am I going to live to protect myself or am I going to live for others for God's sake? And so her attitude was, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to stand for what is right. And now here we are in 22, or 2022, and we have our own world and our own situations. Maybe at work, maybe in a family situation wherever, and we have to take a stand. If I perish, I perish. If I lose a friend, I lose a friend, but I must not disobey God. My, the wisdom from the Bible would also tell me that our primary calling, and and, and this calling goes out often, they're, they're, all, uh, they're often uh, sincere people, trying to uh, rouse up others to save America or to save uh, democracy or save this. I understand all those things. Uh, I like living in America with all of her faults and all the rest. But I've read the Bible. That's not God's agenda. God's agenda is saving humans out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and people. So we move on to the Gospels, Matthew to John, from, from Esther all the way to Bethlehem, on to the cross and the empty tomb. And so we can say to this point that the godly seed survived. When you look at all the Old Testament, that's, that's the great miracle. 
the seed survived. For thousands of years, in spite of intrigue, in spite of every attempt of Satan, no wonder the angels are rejoicing at his birth. This was no small feat. It's nothing for God. He's not exhausted by it. But for this purpose, 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The usurper has been at work since Genesis three fifteen. in the human family. And now against all odds, the Son of God has arrived. And in Luke 2, 10 and 11, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not. For I bring you good tidings of great joy shall be to all people, not just to Jews. And for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. If you think about it, a lot of the hymns, the good hymns that we have, and a lot of the scriptures, they're the language that you use when there's warfare going on. And the birth of Christ was a major advance by the seed of the woman. Unto you is born a Savior. Simeon cries out, I have seen thy salvation. But the enemy is still, even though he's defeated, he's still at work. So Herod had all the boys age two and under, slain, hoping to kill Messiah. Religious leaders tried to kill Jesus before his time. In Matthew, through John, from Bethlehem to the cross and the empty tomb, the greatest battle in the longest war took place at Calvary. Satan and his followers no doubt thought that we did it. It was a long war, but we didn't give up. We kept fighting. We did it. We killed the Son of God. Make no mistake about it. Sin is a treacherous master. And Satan, even though he's defeated, he don't quit. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're in a war zone, which makes it rather foolish for us to be wanting to live on a playground mentality. We're not on a playground. But up from the grave he arose, triumphant over his foes. And even though defeated at Calvary and at the empty tomb, Satan still rages. He knows his time is short. His hatred for the saints of God are stronger than ever. And so when you get to from Acts to the Revelation, from the empty tomb to the second coming of Jesus Christ, for 2,000 years... Satan has turned his hatred toward those who love who love and follow Jesus. Well, 
listen, I, I just want to get to heaven. I, mean, I don't want to be involved in any warfare. You don't have a choice. It's just a matter of which side you're going to be on. Many times through the ages, the followers of Messiah, the Lamb of God, have left a trail of martyrs' blood. Satan may be persistent, but God's children just won't quit. They can't be silenced, they can't be stopped, they can't be destroyed. They are destined to rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. This is why at the Lord's table we do this till he come. We're not just having a celebration of a victory that was somewhere in the dusty past and has no pertinence or significance to now. In God's time, Satan and all those who are deceived by him and marked by him will, as we've seen earlier, face their ruin in the fires of hell in the presence of the Lamb. If you're here without Christ, flee the wrath of God before it is too late. And, oh, Christian, salvation is free. It's all of grace. But we're in a war. And Satan hates your guts. If I could just be plain. Remember, there's a verse in John where Jesus says, he, uh, the thief comes but for to steal and to destroy. Jesus has come to give us life and more abundantly. And many years ago, I was listening, I was reading in a book and a person quoted that uh, passage from John 10. And he added the phrase, Satan goes about as a roaring lion. Well, not that one in Peter, but in John that Satan is a thief and a liar, and he hates your guts. But God's word to us is, Be thou faithful unto death. War is not easy, but when you believe in your captain, and when you believe in your country, and you've got something or someone worth fighting for, you don't go around down in the dumps. You're filled with excitement. You're never bored. Jesus is the captain of all captains. In the battle of all battles, he's never lost, he never will. But we will suffer. All the years that you and I have lived, all across our world, even though we've been immune to it, brothers and sisters have suffered, have been imprisoned, have been tortured, have been killed, have been made to look like a fool for not denying Jesus. This goes all the way back to when Cain killed Abel. Would you and I, as we come to the Lord's table in the view of the price he paid for us, would you and I want to, would it be good for us to leave here today saying, Lord, you've given us a lot of ease and a lot of blessings and thank you, but 
I want to be found faithful unto death. And whatever you have for me, the, thing that, the only thing that matters for me is I want to be faithful to you. I want to honor you. Someone said, endure the crosses that may come. Christ and a crown are waiting. So the great worldwide war will end. The king of kings is coming back. You have what it takes in Christ to overcome him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. I hope this brief tracing of Satan's attempt to destroy Messiah and Messiah's followers beginning in Genesis 3 and days yet ahead to us. I hope we find comfort in this. You look at the headlines coming from media, I don't find any comfort there. Nothing but confusion and fear. We've already witnessed in the last few years how prone to fear we are. The whole world succumbed to fear and did things that no one would have ever imagined that the whole world would have simultaneously done. The power of media to get the human world scared and upset and fearful. Well, Jesus warns us of that. If, you, if, if you're looking at the world and what's coming and what is and, and what they're saying, are coming, you, you're going to be fearful. If there's ever a time for the child of God to be in the word of God and to understand here is a scope. Here is a, here, I started to say the story thread. Here is the history thread of all of history going back to Genesis 3.15 to days yet ahead of us. And God's own time. And he's accomplishing all of his purposes. And we're here to celebrate when the battle of all battles was won. You don't have to try to conquer your sin on your own. You don't have to try to secure your future by something that you can do or promise. Jesus paid it all. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus now by his spirit dwells within you to empower you to be his faithful soldier. Until he calls you home and you're safe until he calls you home. So you don't have to go about trying to save your life. Uh, it seems like Jesus warns about that. You try to save your life and you lose it. Doesn't mean you go out and stand in front of a truck. But it does mean that you are free from the fear of this world. The fears of this world. Because you're trusting Jesus. It is God's good pleasure to redeem and to save sinners and to bring all of his redeemed safely home to heaven. So trust him. Look up. Redemption draws nigh. Hallelujah. What a savior. And it's in this light that we come to the Lord's table. It's connected to all of your history. 
is connected to your present, is connected to your future. What a wonderful Savior. What a glorious victory. And we understand on a human level. If you and I had lived during World War I or during World War II, and we were right in the thick of the battle, and somehow we survived. But we were there when the victory was won. We, we, uh, there are even newscasts today where uh, all the papers or whatever are flowing out of the high-rise buildings in New York City, and the headlines are, the war is over. And you, you see the emotions of people. That pales into insignificance when we realize that the war of wars has been fought and won. And we're celebrating that this morning. We don't celebrate his birth in isolation. It's one of the key moments when the seed of the woman set in motion the defeat, the utter defeat of the devil. And of our flesh. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's bow our heads and hearts for prayer. Our Father, we bless you. We praise you for the wonder of who you are. And the wonder of your word that unfolds for us. This incredible history. That in the midst of all the blood and the suffering and the death and the dying. Jesus came and invaded the earth against all odds, against all opposition. Never lost a battle. And when he paid sin's price, he paid it on his terms. Not anybody else's. No one took his life. He laid it down. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in cooperation in rising up again. He reigns in heaven, carrying out all of his good purposes on earth, interceding for every child of God, day and night, both the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're coming to that climactic moment when we Go to be with him and rule and reign with him for all eternity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying our sin debt. We had a debt we could not pay. You paid a debt you did not owe. So now we are free from sin's power, free from Satan's power, free to live and to serve and to worship Jesus. And for this we give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.